Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, turn it to Ephesians chapter 6 for our ongoing study here this morning. I want to thank uh, Stephen and John for their willingness to come up and lead worship. Uh, most of the, many of the women of the church are away at the, uh, at the women's retreat here this weekend, so that's why our worship team was a little bit dwindled in size, and uh, not, the, not the best looking worship team we've ever had, not the worst, but not the best looking worship team we have ever had, that's for sure. We'll be glad, uh, glad to get the ladies back here this next week. Um, we have been covering the book of Ephesians for about a year now. We're almost coming up on a year. We're almost at the end of it. We're at the final stage where we are talking about what it means to stand. Paul has the book of Ephesians divided into those three sections. We have sitting, walking, and standing. And I know it sounds a little bit counterintuitive to think that stand comes after walk, but it's the way the, the book of Ephesians, the letter to Ephesus, flows. We first learn how to sit. You have to learn how to sit if you're going to follow the Lord. You sit, you rest, you receive, you hear God's truth, you integrate God's truth into your life, you understand what your new identity is, you understand what it means to be forgiven and redeemed and adopted into God's family. And then in chapter four, we learn what it means to then get up and start walking. We walk out this life, we live out this life when it comes to every aspect of our lives, but in particular, it comes to our relationships, we're learning how to walk this out. And then we finally come to the section in the middle of chapter six where Paul's going to say, okay, now, now it's time to stand. You need to stand firm because the enemy is going to attack you and you are going to face spiritual warfare and the spiritual battles of life and you need to learn how to stand against what Satan is going to bring your way. Let's read again chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. This is the stage, this is the context of all the teachings that we are doing, that I've been doing on the spiritual warfare. We're, there are five parts that we are using, five messages to cover spiritual warfare. We are on part number three today. If you did not get the first two parts, make sure you check out the messages. You can see it on the app, you can see it on a YouTube channel or our website, and you can see what we have covered, what I've covered in those parts. Let's look again, chapter six, verses 10 through 20. Here's what Paul says. Finally, meaning I've come to the conclusion, this is my final message to you, Ephesus, in this letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness. 
and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist with the times are evil. And after you've done everything to stand firm, stand firm then. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap up your feet in readiness with the good news of shalom. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep alert with perseverance and supplication. That is praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying for the Kedoshim in Hebrew, the holy ones, the saints. And Paul says, pray for me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the good news for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak boldly the way that I should. So today is part three of learning to stand spiritual warfare. And what we're going to look at in particular today is what is the enemy trying to accomplish? Now, last week we looked at and began to identify who our enemy is. We can't fight the battle unless we know who we are fighting and who our enemy is. And I talked to several people last week who had said they never heard a message talking about the origins of Satan, who he was, who he's created to be. The book of Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah, tell us exactly who Satan is. Last week we looked at what the Bible says about who he is in particular, looked at the names given of Satan in the Bible. They're names such as these. Accuser, adversary, demon. He is dragon. He God of these, God of this age, God of this world. Lucifer. He's a roaring lion, ruler of the demons, ruler of the kingdom of the air. He is Satan, serpent. He's the tempter, the unclean spirit. All of those are words that the Bible used in descriptions of who our enemy is. But today we want to go and look at. Well, then, what is he trying to accomplish? If this is who he is, what is his goal? Let's talk about that for just a moment. Before we do that, let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Father, we need to hear from you. Protect us from the attacks of the enemy. He is coming after us. We know that. We know he is targeting believers, not, not people who follow him. He's talk, targeting those who follow you. Help us to stand firm, to fight the fight, and to resist the attacks of the enemy. Lord, we need to hear from you. We invite you to this place. We want you to speak to us. May they not be my words, but your words here to us today. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible tells us, and this is what we read earlier and what we've been reading the final, the last couple of weeks. Paul writes this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, remember, that was the key. I have to be in the Lord. The Bible talks often about being in Christ. I've got to find myself in Christ. My power comes from him. I have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where strength occurs, in the Lord, in his mighty power. Then he gives you the tools, the tools that are necessary. And the tools, he says, are the full armor of God. God gives you everything you need to fight the fight. He gives you the full armor so that you're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
This is what I want to look at today, the schemes of the devil. Now, last week, we looked at the devil. Who is the devil? We talked about that. We identified that. The devil was a created being. He was an angel of God. He was called a cherubim. Now, a cherubim was the basically the top of the line. He was the one that would have been in the throne room of God, number one created being, but he was created. He is not equal to God. He does not have the power of God. He wanted to have the power that God had, so he rebelled against God. In his disobedience, in his rebellion, God essentially said, we are not going to share. I won't give my authority to you. And he expelled Satan out of heaven. We're going to look at what he's trying to accomplish now in just a moment. I recently watched a documentary, and the documentary was about a leopard in a family of baboons. And in this documentary, you learn that the leopard is the fastest of the creatures in the jungle, that the leopard is nocturnal in nature, was really does its best hunting at night. There was a family of baboons. The baboons were great during the day. They had horrible eyesight at night. The baboons would have uh, a lot of protection during the day. If the leopard would approach the family of baboons during the day, they would huddle together and they would chase the leopard away. But at night, because they had such bad eyesight, the baboons loved to sleep in the treetops thinking that that would provide them the most protection. But this particular leopard was very stealthy and in stealth snuck up the tree at night, knowing the baboons couldn't see as well as this leopard could, snuck up there, snuck into the camp or the, I guess it's not really a camp, but into the treetops where the baboons were and grabbed one of the babies, dragged it away and took off. And the baboons were left in fear, not able to do anything. That's the way our adversary works. He looks for those that are the most vulnerable, the weakest, the time that you are the most weak in your life, and he finds you there and attacks in that way. Satan has a scheme. You remember the word scheme in our previous couple of Sundays ago? The word scheme is the word in the Greek methodia, it's where we get our word method, where we get our word plan. Satan has a plan. He has a blueprint of what he's trying to accomplish to really hurt God. Let's talk about this and understand a little bit about what he's trying to do. Jesus gives us some insight in John chapter 10. Jesus said, Yeshua said again, Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. He said, amen, amen, I tell you. He says, I'm the gate. You, uh, I'm the gate for the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone comes in through me, he will be saved. He will come and will go and find pasture. The thief, who is the enemy, comes only to steal, slaughter, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. This gives us the clue of what Satan is trying to do. He is trying to bring destruction on you. He's trying to steal. He's trying to slaughter. He is trying to destroy who you are. He's trying to wreck your family. He's trying to wreck your marriage. He tries to wreck the church. He tries to go after the heart of God. 
Now, Satan cannot get to where God is. Satan does not have the power God has. He doesn't have the authority. Satan is not king of kings and lord of lords. He is not the almighty creator. That is only God. Satan knows I can't hurt God. I can't get to God. I can't come after God. I'll do the next best thing. I will go after his creation. Everyone God loves, his creation, Satan says, ah, that's the target. Because I can hurt the heart of God if I take away the ones that God so loved that he gave his only son in order to save them. I can hurt God's heart if I go after the ones that God desires and God loves. And so Satan in his plan thinks and says, I will pull them away from God because that will go against him. That will affect him. That's his plan. In order to understand his plan, we have to understand how Satan has accomplished this. There are three things that God has that are exclusively his. Now, there are other things that we can talk about, but there are three exclusive rights that God has as the creator. Almighty God, King of kings, Lord of lords. As the creator, God, number one, has the power to control. He can control his creation. In the book of Daniel, it says this. Nebuchadnezzar, who'd had a mental breakdown, came back to sanity. God restored him. Nebuchadnezzar writes these words. He says, I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one could stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, God alone as the almighty God, king of kings, lord of lords, has the right and the power to control his creation. Second exclusive right that, are, that really is God's alone is that God has the right to judge. God has the right to set the standards and expectations for his creation. It says in James chapter 4 verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and destroy. In Romans 9.22 it says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In other words, God has the right. He has the right to judge and set the standards his creation. There's only one lawgiver and judge. Third exclusive right of God's is that God deserves all praise. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God has these powers, this right, the power to control, the right to judge. He's the one that deserves all praise of all people. And God created this order. 
And Satan rebelled against this. And we read last week that Satan wanted to set his throne up above God. He wanted the powers of God. He wanted to judge like God. He wanted the praise of humanity like God deserves. And God said, no, we're not going to share and kicked him out of the garden. Or I'm sorry, kicked him out of heaven. Satan was the first one who had a problem with God's power to control, his right to judge, and his deserving of all praise. Satan wanted these rights for himself and tried to take these rights away from God. Again, God is not going to share. God is the creator, the almighty king of kings and lord of lords. One of the things that God created was humanity. He created you and I. He created Adam and Eve in the garden. And in the garden, he had a close connection with Adam and Eve. That God and Adam and Eve were connected. They were created in the image of God. They loved God. They followed God. And they would have recognized that, God, you have the power to control. You have the right to judge. And you're the one that deserves all praise. Satan hated God. And he hated all who were created by God. And again, he wanted to hurt the heart of God by going after those he so loved that he gave his only son. And so Satan crept into the garden. The first thing that he said to Adam and Eve was this, did God really say? You can't believe God. You can't trust God. He is not trustworthy. Did God really say And when he convinced them that God wasn't who he said he was, when Satan convinced them to do what God said don't do, it immediately created a separation between God and humanity. And what it began to look like was this. They said, we don't need God anymore. Instead, the three rights that were exclusively God's they took upon themselves. And this has been the consequence for all humanity. That all people have taken upon themselves what is exclusively God's. The way we get ourselves back in alignment is we surrender those and come back to God and say, no, they're all yours. But look at what happened. Adam and Eve said, I want control. Are any of you control freaks? You don't have to raise your hands. I see some nods of heads just verifying that you are. Control freaks say this, I want to be in control. I don't want to surrender my control to God. I want to be in control. I want to control people. I want to control the outcome of things. Well, if you're doing that and you're saying that, you're essentially taking what is rightfully God's because we're not in control. God is the one who is in control. They said, I am judge. And maybe you've done the same thing. What does that look like? Well, it means that you're starting to set standards and expectations upon other people that are not God's at all. Maybe you set a standard upon yourself or others that they have to live up to the standard. And if they don't live up to the standard, you're going to punish them. It's not God's standard. It's yours. And you have elevated yourself above God's rule. I see this in marriage all the time. Wives getting upset at their husbands. Husbands getting upset at their wives because you have an expectation upon them. It's not godly. 
You've got the expectation. You've got the standard. They can't measure up, and so you're going to punish them for not measuring up to that standard. In society, we have done this. We've said, God, I don't care what your word says about what is right and wrong. We will determine what is right and wrong. Your word may say this. It may be very black and white, but I don't care what it says. We will set the standards. We will be the judge. And then mankind says, I don't want you to receive the praise, God. I want the praise. And we become approval and applause addicts. I need so many likes. I need to be recognized. I need to, re, uh, I need to have people notice me, applaud me, approve of me. We seek people's praise even though everything we have comes from God, i.e. our talents, our looks, our possessions, our abilities. But essentially what Satan has done has said, I don't want you connected to God. Move over here, get God over here, and you live life the way you want to. No relationship, no care, no concern for who God is. Well, how does he accomplish all of this? Well, this brings us then back to Ephesians because the armor of God gives us all of Satan's tactics. The number one tactic that Satan has, I bet you can guess it. We've already subtly said it. The number one attack that Satan has against us is lies. He will use lies as a weapon to steal, slaughter, and destroy. Some of you have seen this happen. You've faced this. You've felt this. You've gone through this. And you've seen the lies that he tells and how it's just wrecked everything. Happened to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, Satan came to them and said these words, Did God really say... You can't believe God. He isn't trustworthy. He isn't true. He doesn't care. You can't believe him. Did God really say? And then when they told him what God said, he said, you won't die. Even though God said in the day that you eat from it, you will die. You can't believe God. He is not trustworthy. You most assuredly won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. How did they become like God? Well, they usurped God's power. I want control, I want to judge, and I want the praise of everyone. You're going to be like God. And you will know good and evil. Satan twisted the truth of God. He told lies about God. Satan really began to plant this in them, they made the choice then to sin, to not believe God, and it wrecked humanity. But this is who Satan is. John 8, 44 says, you are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks lies, he is just being himself, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's go back to Ephesians. Paul says this, therefore, knowing the scheme, the scheme is he wants to destroy, slaughter you. He wants to steal everything you have. That's his scheme. He wants to hurt God's heart by taking you down, sending you to hell. That's what he wants to accomplish. That's his scheme. He's a liar, the liar from all time. Knowing that's his scheme, Paul says, 
take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist when the times are evil. You know the times were evil in the time of Paul? In the city of Ephesus, they were being persecuted. In the Roman Empire, Christians were being persecuted to an extent that it was uh, painful to know family members and friends who had been sent to gladiators or sent to the lions or even burned at a stake alive to light the parties of some of the debauchery that was happening. It was a horribly evil time. Do you know that we live in an evil time today as well? The times are evil, and we have to be able to resist knowing that the times are evil. Paul says, take up this full armor so that you can resist. You can resist when the times are evil. After you've done everything, stand firm. Stand firm then. First item of defense he gives us, first piece of armor he gives us is this. He says, buckle the belt of truth around your waist. Notice the word truth. Satan is a liar. He lies. He distorts. He does not speak truth. How are you going to combat this? You've got to have truth around your waist. I let my mind just kind of wander when it comes to belts. I was thinking, well, what, what kind of belts in my life do I know of and I'm aware of? And I know there's multiple kinds of belts that you have. You have a, some of you have a pants belt, and that is holding your pants up, and that's a good thing. It provides some security there that your pants are held into place. There are some that will wear belts and suspenders. They are doubly protected, and we are grateful for that, for that double protection of their belt doing the job. I thought of people who are in the military, the military belt, and maybe they have weaponry on their belt. I, you know, see pictures like World War II. Maybe they're carrying ammo on their belts, or maybe it's a canteen, provides sustenance. That's a good thing. For people that are climbers, there's climbing belts. I don't know why people would choose to climb, but they do. There are some of you that love to climb. And you could be climbing, going up a mountain, the side of a mountain, a cliff, you know, a rock face, and you could fall, but you got the belt on. And the belt is going to protect you and keep you safe in case you fall off. Maybe you're in a car and you're driving the car. Maybe you're wearing a safety belt in the car. The purpose of that belt is to keep you safe as you're driving in the car should something happen unexpectedly. If you get on a plane, they're going to make sure you fasten your safety belt on the plane so that you're kept safe as you're flying on that plane. I thought there's all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of things about a belt that is getting buckled around your waist. I want you to know what Paul was talking about, though. Paul was talking about the Roman Empire. A Roman soldier at that time would always be wearing a belt. But the belt did not serve the purpose of any of the things that I just said. The belt of a Roman legionary would be something like this that you see on the screen. The belt, you could possibly hang a weapon, but it really wasn't designed for that. The belt was something very, very different. It was called a singulum or a uh, baltius, and I may be pronouncing those wrongs, and I apologize if I am, but singulum baltius, and they were often used as part of a Roman soldier's military outfit. 
the belt, you can see that there are five like strands that are hanging down from the belt with medallions at the bottom of those. And those were significant because those would, would signify a rank or an award that a Roman soldier would actually have. This belt was the symbol of a legionary. So to take it off could mean suspension from being a soldier. It was supposed to be worn at all times, even off duty. Only the soldiers, though, were allowed to wear this. By law, they had to wear the unique belt. Maybe there were defense capabilities, but not really much of them. More, it was just the rank and the rewards that are awards that this would represent. And really, the belt was only a status symbol that they were, in fact, a true soldier in the Roman army. Think about then what Paul says for us. I want you to buckle the belt, meaning if you are really inscripted into the military for God, if you're really a soldier of God, you will have the status symbol and the rank being a soldier because you have the belt buckled around you. People will know that you are in the military for God because you wear truth. Truth matters. Truth is everything. Truth is the foundation that everything is built upon. If you don't know the truth of God's word, you have nothing that your life is being built upon. As a Christian, truth matters. And so Paul says, you buckle the truth around your waist so that you can know and fight the fights that are coming your way. You can't fight unless you know the truth because Satan will target you with lies constantly. There are three types of lies or three directions or targets for the lies that Satan shares. Number one target that Satan has with his lies is Satan will tell lies about God. It's the first lie he will tell you. Lies about God. It goes back to the very beginning of the Bible, and he lies all the way through. The first lie that Satan tells is the lie that you can't believe the first line of the Bible. What is the first line? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. What is the first area that Satan targets? That truth. God created the heavens and the earth. So what does he come in and do? He says, you can't believe that. There is no creator. There is no God. There's no way a God could create this. It, happened to, it had to happen through an evolutionary process. That's the only explanation of how this could happen. The earth has to be millions and millions of years old. There's no other explanation to how it could happen. It has to happen through a big bang explosion in the universe. There's no other way it could happen. And we send our kids to schools and to universities where the lie is told and they walk away saying, oh, there is no God. This is not true. And if you can't believe the first line of the Bible, the rest of the Bible is a house of cards. And it will fall flat. He tells lies about God. There is no God. He is not the creator, even if there is a God. 
Even if he is there, even if he did create, he's not good. He doesn't care. How could a loving God allow calamity to happen in the world the way that it happens? Obviously, there is no such thing. And so Satan comes in and he says lies. He doesn't exist. He isn't good. He doesn't care. He just wants to hurt people. And if we believe the lie, it wrecks everything else in our life. So the first target, he tells lies about God. It's the first thing he did to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? He didn't really mean that. You can't believe him. He isn't trustworthy. Second target of the lies is that Satan also not only lies about God, he lies about others. How many churches have been split, families have been destroyed, marriages have fallen apart, because we have believed lies about other people. We make assumptions about them. There are accusations about them. We judge their motives. Instead of actually working through and reconciling and restoring, instead of trying to talk things out and forgive and understand the other person's point of view, no, we just believe the lie and we react to the lie I've had people leave churches, church, leave churches that I have pastored because they believed a lie and they don't bother to ever check and see what is really the truth. They just believe the lie and they walk away and then they spread the lie to other people, causing them to walk away. And it's basically they become the tool of Satan because they don't bother to go and say, is this really true? You know how you combat lies? You combat it with the truth. How do you combat lies in your family? You talk about the truth. Work through the truth. How many marriages have ended in disaster because the wife believes false things about the husband? Or the husband believes false things about the wife and they won't actually talk and reconcile and restore their relationship? So second thing Satan tries to do is he tries to lie, not only about God, but about others as well. Maybe you've heard those. Maybe you believe those. Maybe you have had relationships wrecked because of lies that have been told. Third area that he begins to target is not just about God, not just about others, but he shares lies about ourselves. This is a painful one, a disastrous one, because it can lead people down a path they did not want to go. What kind of lies do we believe about ourselves? Well, maybe you believe you're unlovable, rejectable, worthless, insignificant. Maybe you feel defective. Maybe you believe the lie that no one will ever care about me. Maybe you believe the lie that I should have never been born. The lies that we believe about ourselves are painful and disastrous that we allow them to affect us. Some of us have been carrying those lies all of our lives. And sometimes Satan uses other people in our lives to tell us those lies about ourselves that we have believed for so long. And those lies have been a scar and a pain that we have carried for years and years What does Satan want to do? He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy. 
Satan is a liar. He has been a liar since the beginning. And so Satan wants to tell you lies about who God is. And if you believe them, it will wreck your relationship with him. And he wants you to tell, tell you lies about others. And if you believe them, it will wreck your relationship with them. And he wants to tell you lies about you. And if you believe them, it will wreck who you are and how you see yourself for the rest of your life. We combat the lies by strapping on the belt of truth. We go to the word of God. The word of God tells us, we'll get into this more, but it tells us that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? It means I take the word of God and I take the lie that I've heard and I sift it through the word of God and say, Lord, is this true? I hear the message coming through my mind, you're so stupid, you're so worthless, and I bring it to the word of God and I say, God, is this true? And God says, no, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are my adopted child. I have forgiven you. I have redeemed you. Here's the truth. And then you say, that's the truth. I reject the lie. I won't hold on to the lie. I will believe your truth. And he tells you a lie about the person you're married to. And you say, is this the truth? And you go to God's word. God, is this true? And then you go to the other person and say, this is what I'm believing. Is this true? And they say, that's not what I meant at all. Or that's not what I intended. That's not true. And God's word says that's not true. And you say, I'm going to reject the lie. God, I'm going to believe your truth. And you begin to work through and sift through the lies you watch TV and you hear nonstop lies on TV and you take it to God's word and you say, is this true? And you sift it through the word of God and God says, this is not accurate. Here's the truth. And you say, I'm going to reject that and believe your truth, God. We combat the lies with the truth of God that is strapped around us, that differentiates us and says, you are a follower of Christ. So as we close today, have you believed these lies? Have you believed lies about God? Have you believed lies about others? Has it wrecked any relationships that you have? Have you believed lies about yourself? And it's affected how you see you. Maybe it's time to say, God, I want to see you clearly. I don't want to listen to what other people say, what YouTube says, what TV says. What does it say in your word about you, God? That's what I want to believe. Maybe there's some other people, and maybe you need to do some damage control and go to them and say, I've been believing some lies. Let's work through this together. Let's reconcile. Maybe you just have to say, I have been believing lies about me, God. Please forgive me and help me to see me through your eyes. Whatever it is that God wants to do in you to combat the lies that are around you, agree with him, cooperate, and let him work in your life. Let's pray as we close. Father God, I pray that, Lord, we would recognize and see the lies that are all around us. We live in a culture where your truth has been discarded or distorted. We live in a place, Lord, where we have been listening to lies about ourselves. We have had relationships wrecked because people have believed a lie. Lord, it's painful. 
it's painful the way Satan has affected us so much. And so, Lord, help us to take a stand today to say we will buckle your truth around our waist. We will hold to your truth and not follow the lie. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray for your protection over us, in front of us, behind us, all around us, Lord, that we may be in the center of your will. Lord, your truth and your truth alone will set the captive free. So help us to be firmly entrenched in your truth. Thank you for meeting with us today. Bless each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.